This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. January the 1st is the customary time that we make our New Year's resolutions. It's a time to decide on perhaps some goal that we want to achieve, uh, maybe something that we want to accomplish that we have procrastinated on for far too long. And so we're determined to be resolute in making something come true. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, of course, if it helps us to, to focus, put a marker down, why not? So I am not saying anything against resolutions, because some of you has probably made some. However, as J.B. Phillips once said, instead of a resolution, have a realization. What is the difference, you may ask? Well, a resolution is about something we desire, it's about something we want to happen, it's about something perhaps we're going to work really hard on to make a reality. Whereas a realization is something about something that's already happened, that is already a reality, already has been accomplished, but perhaps we have been remiss in considering it. Maybe we have temporarily forgotten about it. Perhaps we have not been paying really much attention to it. It's real. It's happened. It's there. We know it. But right now we're not thinking about it. And therefore, we've got to realize it again. Got to make it a reality again. Here are a few things tonight, just simple few thoughts tonight on things that we need to realize again. Philippians 1 and 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that encouraging? No matter what state you find yourself in tonight, know that God is not finished with you. That he fully intends to complete what he has started in your life. Jesus is called in the Bible the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so therefore it is within the very nature of God to complete that which he has started. And every single one of us tonight, God has started something in us, maybe years and years ago, and it's not completed yet, but he will complete it. If we remain faithful and follow him, he will complete it. Most of us start things with enthusiasm, don't we? Even New Year's resolutions. We're going to lose that stone this year if it kills me. (laughs) Or two or three, depending on who you are. And we start off with great enthusiasm and energy and drive, and we're going to do it. And then we begin to wane and we flag and 
we kind of procrastinate a little bit, and before you know it, then your dreams are gone, and your get up and go has got up and gone, and you're back to where you started. But God is not like that. Hallelujah. If He says what He starts, He finishes, you can be sure that's exactly what He will do. We wonder sometimes is it worth the effort? Is the pain worth the gain? Maybe we have set the bar too high. Maybe we give ourselves too high a goal. And so we figure out, well, if I could just fell her back a bit, and a bit more, and a bit more, and before you know it, it's lost. We revoke our resolution. But Paul is confident that God is not like that, because in another place he says that the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. In other words, God puts something in our life, He doesn't take it back. It's irrevocable. Even King David knew this before he was king, when Saul was king, and Saul wanted to kill him several times, and David had the chance on a couple of occasions to kill him. But he said, no, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Even though God had finished with Saul, had taken the kingdom from him, but he still occupied the throne, but David still wouldn't touch him because of the calling that had been in his life. And so, take heart, child of God. He's not finished with you yet. There's still some unfinished business that God has with your life. In Ephesians chapter 1, let me read a few verses from here. Verse 13 of Ephesians 1. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Lord. In other words, the fact that you have the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that Christ is coming back for you, his purchased possession. And he's given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee to let us know that he fully intends to come back and to take us to be where he is. His great prayer in John 17, he wanted us to see the glory that he had with the Father before the world began. And that promise is real, and he's going to do that. And he sent his Holy Spirit as a guarantee in our lives that that's going to happen. Then he said, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, do not, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention always of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You are Christ's inheritance. The Father has given us to him as his inheritance. It's in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? 
according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the, in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness and towards us in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, God has unfinished business with us that even this time on earth will not complete. It will take the ages to come to complete everything that God has got for us. Do we understand that? Do we realize that? For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, being confident of this very thing, are you confident that God will finish what he has started in your life? He who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. I think that it's wonderful as I stand here tonight and she sit there tonight that God's plan for my life and your life is being worked out. It's unfolding day by day by day by day. And will all the days of her life on earth until we get to the glory and then it'll be all the time and eternity that God will take to unfold everything he has for us. Realize that tonight. Second thing to realize, and these is well-known scriptures to you. First John 4, 4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The world tonight is a scary place. It really is. There is much that is harmful and dangerous in this world. Every time we turn on the news, we're hearing of some tragedy or some murder is seen somewhere in some nightclub or in some wherever. And you wonder, where can you go in this world that would be safe? And the answer is nowhere. Everywhere is open for all kinds of trouble and difficulties. And Christians around the world are feeding the heat. It seems that many governments are, are hell-bent on making Christian biblical values irrelevant and out of date. And whether that's in the science class, we see this, or whether it's in the council chambers or the lecture hall or the TV studio panel or the government benches, it has become a cold house for Christians. In the West, Christians are mocked, ridiculed, or called intolerant, homophobic, behind the times, the wrong side of history, or last prime minister told us all we're in the wrong side of history. Well, he's in the wrong side of history tonight. Those who live in the Middle East and the Muslim and Arab nations, uh, they find that if they're Christians, they are persecuted even unto death. 
the figures for Christians that are being slaughtered today is, is hard to judge because not all of them uh, can be pinpointed. It can range, but it certainly ranges in the thousands every year, in the tens of thousands every year. And it doesn't mean that they're necessarily born again Christians, but people who own the name of Christ, people who say, I believe in Jesus Christ, just even to say that could be your death warrant in certain nations today. Isn't it interesting that the safest place for a Christian to be in the whole of the Middle East is in Israel? It's the one place where Christians are safe out of all the many nations of the Middle East. And so whether it's in the Middle East or whether it's the Far East or indeed anywhere where Christians are in the minority, life is not easy. It may be in the subcontinent of India, it may be in Africa, it may be along Hindus or Buddhists or Muslims. There's always the chance of extremism. In communist lands like China and North Korea, life can be very brutal for believers. But let's face it, it was no different in the early church. Rome for centuries was no friend of the church. And it cost them often their lives. The apostle John who wrote that very text, he lived long enough to see all of the apostles become martyrs for Jesus. Every single one of them. And here he is as an old man and he's in a Roman penal colony. <laughs> so things are no different then than what they are today. And yet notwithstanding, John says, and he shouts it loud and he's proud, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So no matter what comes against us in this world, the greater one lives in us. Even if the strong man comes against us, the stronger man lives within us. And Paul agreed with John when he said, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And whenever the greater one lives inside us, we can say like Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. <laughs> greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so the world's a scary place. It's an unsafe place. It's a place where Christians are getting squeezed. But thank God the greater one lives in us. So we don't have to go and hide in a hole somewhere. The greater one is within us. And then the third thing to realize tonight, Luke 17, 21. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. There's the answer to why the conflict. Because the kingdom of God is within you. That's why you face conflict. There is something within you that the enemy of your soul hates and will try to cause problems for you. The kingdom of God is within you. And this kingdom of God, which both 
now is and not yet. And that's the, the strange thing about the kingdom of God. It now is, but it's not yet. It now is in invisible form within us. But it's not yet visible. It's invisible in us, but it's not yet visible to this world. But one day the king of this kingdom is coming back to this earth, and it will be visible, and it will be tangible, and it will be practical. And he will rule. He will rule on this earth. And so right now the kingdom of God is within you. This invisible kingdom finds its expression through you. If this world is ever going to see anything of the kingdom of God on earth, it's going to have to be through you. Because that's where the kingdom of God is right now, on earth, in you. That's what Jesus said. And so you will be the one who will give expression to this kingdom, to the world around you, whether that's your family, your friends, your work colleagues, your schoolmates, whatever. If they're going to know anything of this kingdom, it's going to have to be through you because it's invisible to them. And the only manifestation they'll see of it, the expression they'll see, is going to come through you. Everywhere you go, the kingdom of God goes. When you go into your work on Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever it is you go this week, when you walk into that workplace, or you walk into that school or that university, or that lecture hall, the kingdom of God is there in you. And it will find expression through you. Do you realize that? Do you understand that? Can I remind you of that? This is the realization of this world that we live in, that God uses us to express his kingdom through us, the invisible kingdom that now is through us, but not yet visible and tangible. But one day, praise God, it will be. No wonder Revelation 1 and 6 calls us kings and priests unto God. No wonder the Apostle Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. <laughs> are you getting the image that the kingdom of God is within you? So wherever you go, whoever you be in contact with, to that degree the kingdom of God is coming close to them because it's in you. And you can give expression to that. That expression may be, if you go into a hospital, you may pray for somebody. That expression may be, in your workplace, you may share the gospel with somebody. That expression may be within your family, that you show them love unconditionally. That expression may be that you show forgiveness. All of this is expressions of the kingdom that's within you. And it's got to come out. God's kingdom is very, very different than the kingdoms of this world. It's governed by entirely different principles, is it not? In God's kingdom, you serve to lead. You die to live. You give to receive. You bear a cross before you wear a crown. You are humbled before you are exalted. And so that's why the Christian life is so different than any other life. That's why God's expectation for us 
And expressing this kingdom is different for us than anybody else because it works on entirely different principles. And you can see that in the life of Jesus. That's why even his disciples were shocked. He says, if somebody orders you to go with them one mile, go too. Because in those days, a Roman uh, soldier could come along and demand that you carry his pack for one mile. By law, he could do that. So he says, instead of just going that mile, at the end of the mile, why didn't he say, oh, excuse me, can I carry this another mile for you? <laughs> that would shock them, wouldn't it? And it shocked his disciples. How often should I forgive, Peter says, seven times? Surely nobody would expect any more than seven times. He says, I didn't say seven times, but until 70 times seven. I mean, that just blew him out of the water completely, didn't it? So this kingdom is very, very different. The principles are very, very different. When Jesus came to his own, they rejected him. He was not the Messiah that the Jews had hoped for and longed for. The Messiah they wanted would be, in their imagination, would be a powerful leader, would be a warrior, would be a shrewd politician, somebody that could outwit and, and do battle against the, the hated occupiers. That's what they wanted, a strong military leader. But as Jesus said to Pilate at his trial, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom is of this world, my servants would fight so that I would be not delivered to the Jews. But now, he said, but now my kingdom is not from here. One day it will be, but not now. You see, this is the kingdom that not, is not yet he's talking about. At this point, even his disciples did not understand that. Because even his disciples were looking for this physical kingdom. They even argued who would sit on his right hand and his left hand. They were even vying for that position of power. That's all they thought about. Even before Jesus died, when he had in that upper room and he was talking to them, they weren't even humble enough to wash each other's feet. They were wondering who's going to sit in the right hand and left hand when you come into the kingdom didn't understand what this kingdom really is about. They saw themselves seated on thrones. They were so focused on the not yet aspect of the kingdom that they didn't see the now is aspect. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach them. So you and I tonight are part of the now is aspect of the kingdom. The not yet will have to wait for a while, but it'll come. But right now, the kingdom of God is within you. Do you realize that? Everywhere you go tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the kingdom of God will be there. You will bring the kingdom of God into those situations. When I go to a hospital, and I go to hospitals regularly to pray for people, to visit people, not always out of here, but people ring you up when you go. And I'm conscious when I walk out of that car park, when I walk into that hospital, I'm conscious I'm taking with me the kingdom of God. I'm the kingdom's representative at that moment. I represent the king of kings, and you do too.
And you can go a thousand places that I can't go. I can't walk into your work. I can't walk into your school. I can't walk into your next door neighbor. But you can with the kingdom of God and be the king's representative. And then the fourth and final one. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a promise. What a fantastic promise. Nothing, absolutely nothing shall separate you from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, just a few verses that we need to remind ourselves of. Romans chapter 8, reading from verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Those are seven things that Paul enumerated, seven things that he was very familiar with. Even the last one he mentions, the sword, he had been whipped, he had been beaten, he had been stoned, he had been bruised, he had been battered but he'd never been put to the sword. But it's coming. And he knows it's coming. Very soon, he will die by the sword. And yet he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. In all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am persuaded that neither death, <laughs> death will only usher us into the presence of God at its worst. It's all it can do. Usher us into the presence of God. Having done its worst, then the best is yet to come. How can we lose as believers tonight if death, the last enemy, does its worst? All it does actually is usher us into the presence of God. Neither death nor life. Life can't separate us from the love of God. In fact, Jesus said, I'm come to give you life and to give you it more abundantly. So this life can't separate us from the love of God, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. Angels. But sure, Jesus is the king of angels. <laughs> they can't separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nor principalities, or powers, Whenever you read in Ephesians, 
about the armor of God and what we're against, what comes against us. It talks about these principalities and powers. These wicked, evil spirits, which in themselves are very powerful. No question about that. But none of them can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said, Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nor things present, nor things to come. Nor things present, nor things to come. Let me just read from Psalm 139. Psalmist says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where could I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, behold, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall find me. There is nowhere that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is nothing, there is no one that can separate us from his wonderful love. No height, no depth. No heaven, no hell can separate us from his love. Nor any other creature. David Livingstone was the great explorer, missionary to Africa. Many books has been written about him. Movies was made about his life. And Matthew 28, 20 was David Livingstone's text. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. What a text. And F.W. Borum, a writer that Jason Dick is very fond of reading, in his little book, A Bunch of Everlastings, which you may have in your library, he said about, in times of trouble, Livingstone would write in his diary, Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And he would put these words beside it. It is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor, and there's an end to it. <laughs> and he would write that often, and there's an end to it. It's his word, and that's it settled. And if we can realize that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Paul Casey left anything out and says, any other created thing, that covers everything else that he couldn't think of at the moment. He says, nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so as we step into a new year, there are many things that we cannot be sure of. But there's one thing that we can be sure of, that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so you're safe tonight. Take comfort. Take confidence. Say, Lord, I thank you 
and help me to realize, to remind myself again and again of your promises, of your holy word that strengthens me, that encourages me in the difficult days. Glory to God. And so, resolution, fine. Have a resolution, nothing wrong with that. But better to have a realization that you belong to him, that he holds you in the palm of his hand, that our life is hid with Christ in God. That's pretty safe, isn't it? No man shall pluck you out of my hand. <laughs> Wonderful, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, we, we give you thanks these moments together, brief as they are on this Sunday evening tonight, this holiday time. But yet, Lord, we're glad that we can come and we can worship you. We can listen to your word, that we can get strength and encouragement from it. Thank you for every promise that you have given to each of us. Lord, there are many of them. And I pray that you will quicken them to us. That will not just be words on a page, but they'll become something in our hearts and in our minds that strengthens and encourages in these days. And so we bless you and we give you thanks and we praise you for who you are and for all that you've done, for the life that you gave. Lord, we bless you for that. We thank you, Lord, for the promises you made. And every one of them, Lord, you will bring to fruition. Every one of them, Lord, you will not let one pass. And we bless you for that. Thank you that your word is faithful and trustworthy. And we can count upon it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.